Our scripture today is from the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 15 through 25. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but still there is room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hey kids, Miss Kelly here. I brought with me today an invitation. Now this is just an old invitation to a birthday party. Maybe you've received an invitation before, maybe to a birthday party or a sleepover or maybe even a wedding that you got to go to with your parents. It's fun to be invited to things, isn't it? And it makes you feel pretty special. It's especially fun to know that you get to celebrate with others. Well, today during worship, you are going to hear a story that Jesus told about an invitation. In his story, Jesus tells us who gets invited to the kingdom of heaven. So make sure you pay attention and listen for his answer. Thank you, God, for happy hearts and rain and sunny weather. Thank you, God, for food we eat and that we are together. Amen. Yes, thank you, God, that we are together. And thank you to Izzy and Elena for recording our dinner blessing this week, and also to Joyce Garris for coming in and reading our scripture lesson for today. We've heard that you enjoy seeing uh, your brothers and sisters uh, on our video broadcast, and so we appreciate those who have been willing to participate. We are continuing our Table Talk sermon series where we're taking a closer look at scripture passages centered on food, food events and meals that have theological value. The passage that we heard Joyce read is Luke's version of the parable of the great feast. Now the same story is told in Matthew chapter 22 um, and I encourage you to take time to, to read it for yourself sometime this week as part of your personal study. And so after considering both versions, I've chosen to explore Luke for a couple of reasons. 
First of all, food is very important to Luke's narrative of the Jesus story. It seems that Jesus is either um, going to a meal, at a meal, or returning from a meal. You may recall that Jesus pauses during a meal to heal a sick man on the Sabbath, much to the chagrin of the Pharisees. He was accused of eating with sinners when he went to Matthew's house for a meal. The woman anointed Jesus before his death as he sat at the table during a meal. And of course, he instituted what we now call the Lord's Supper on his final meal uh, with his friends around the table. The other reason that I prefer Luke's account of this story is that I think his placement of this particular parable helps us to better understand its message and the impact that it had on the first hearers. The recorded conversation, of which we only heard a piece, occurs at a dinner held by a prominent Pharisee. And tension, Luke tells us, was already escalating between Jesus and the Pharisees and all of the religious leaders for that matter. He was being closely watched, Luke tells us. It was at this dinner that Jesus healed the man, which didn't help his cause any. Jesus notices the posturing going on, the the jockeying for seats among the guests, trying to find their space closer to the seat of honor and and to the guest of honor and to the host. Jesus, um, in 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 the late first century table fellowship, Uh, tradition, not only did the host and the um, guest of honor get the best seats at the table, they also got the best wine and the choicest food and all they could eat. And as you found yourself further away from the guest of honor and the banquet host, you found that your food wasn't quite the quality that they were receiving and that you were limited as to what you were able to have. And so Jesus comments on this behavior and he offers instructions to the group about where they should sit and who best to invite to such an occasion. Needless to say, his way was sort of opposite what was happening and is counterintuitive to our own human nature. When we host a dinner, we invite our friends, we invite our family, we invite those who we want to impress, we invite those who have influence, we invite those to whom we want to curry favor. Jesus' recommendations didn't go over very well. And so it was in response to his instruction that someone replied with the opening line of our text, blessed is the one who will eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. These words are similar to what we hear in John's revelation where the angel said to John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lord. The words of the dinner guest caught Jesus' ear and easily became a a teachable moment. 
the feast and the kingdom of God to which he refers is spoken by the prophet Isaiah, as we heard Pastor Elizabeth read earlier. Isaiah describes the the messianic age as a feast or a heavenly banquet, as some versions of the Bible say. It is a vision of the kingdom of God in its fullness when all people will feast on an abundance of rich food and the best meats and aged wine. There is no shortage of food in the kingdom of God. No one goes hungry. It is this image, a familiar concept, to the Jews that Jesus uses as his foundation for telling this parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests, he says. Now the tradition at the time was that the person holding a banquet would contact the guest twice, would send out word of the celebratory occasion or the impending celebratory occasion, the birth of a child, a bar mitzvah, a wedding, the return of a prodigal, the purchase of a piece of land. Any of a number of celebrations would be cause for a banquet. And so it would not be much unlike those save-the-date cards that we are now receiving well in advance of the actual wedding or the actual banquet, when all the preparations are made and it is time for the feast, the host would again send word to the invited guests that now is the time. The certain man in our parable, a representation of God, has prepared the feast and sent his servant to notify the invited guest that the time has come. Everything is ready. It's time to party. Come, join us. And what he gets in response is a bunch of excuses. And the excuses are lame. After all, who would purchase a piece of land without first seeing it or a herd of oxen without having already visited them? And when is getting married an acceptable excuse for skipping a celebration? But they are significant to the first hearers of the story. Think of the piece of land as the promised land and the five oxen as the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. The response of the original invited guests in the parable has profound implications. Who needs an invitation when your heritage guarantees you entry? The master of the banquet is insulted by this response and ordered the servant then to go into the streets and the alleys to bring in the poor, the lame, the hungry, the blind... We should pay attention to this, noticing the contrast to the invited guests who had the means to purchase land and and oxen and those who have now been invited, the poor, the crippled, the lame. You may recall a Pharisee asking Jesus, 
whose sin caused the man to be blind. You see, it was understood that any chronic illness or defection or physical ailment was um, the result of sin. And so the, great, the host of the great banquet instructed his servant to gather a bunch of sinners to take the place of the well-healed, those for whom the feast was originally prepared. After complying with the orders, the servant reported to the master, there is still room. This is, after all, a really great banquet hall and isn't anywhere near full. They have come, as the master wished, and yet there is room for more. Then go out, the master replies, go out to the roads and the country. Now, who is being insulted? The master of the great banquet has gone too far. You know who lives out there, outside the city walls and the city gates. Outsiders. That's who. The original invited guests must have thought that the master had lost his mind. It's bad enough to gather a bunch of sinners, but now he has instructed his servant to compel outsiders to come. You know what that means. Outsiders have become insiders. All for the sake of filling up the house Go out there and compel them to come so that my house will be full, the master said. And that, my friends, is the gospel. Jesus' parable of the great feast is also the good news that Jesus proclaimed. He is the servant sent by God announcing the banquet is ready. The servant who gathered sinners and the servant who compelled outsiders to come so this father's house would be full. The kingdom of God has come near, Jesus would say. And this is what it looks like. The sick are made well. The blind can see. The hungry are fed. The lame walk and outsiders have now been invited inside. And not everyone is happy about it. The story was not good news to the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. They knew who they were in Jesus' parable. The people of Israel and especially the uber-religious were the invited guests who, when it was time to attend the feast, declined. They chose rather to tend their land and their cattle and their families, offering instead excuses as why they would not partake of the feast and refuse to enter the kingdom. To replace them, the chosen ones, those who have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in their lineage, the people of the law with sinners and outsiders, meaning Gentiles was highly insulting. 
The master in the story went so far as to say, those who were originally invited will no longer be allowed in. They will not even get a taste of the banquet, he said. This offended the Pharisees and made the religious leaders even more angry. They became more intent on getting rid of Jesus. This is where in Luke's narrative that the conflict between Jesus and the religious elite escalates even further and ultimately led to his death. And so this is what I want you to hear today. This is the message that I hope that you will find worthy of consideration. When our version of the gospel is not offensive, if it is not the kind of message that provokes a little angry, angry anger or defensiveness, the kind of message that would get Jesus killed, it is probably not the true gospel. Unless it is good news for the poor, the sinners, and the outsiders, it is not the gospel that Jesus preached. If our version of the gospel does not provide relief from oppression and injustice and allow a way for outsiders to become insiders, it is not the gospel that Jesus preached. Imagine if Jesus' message was simply a call to belief as is often portrayed um, in our understanding. Jesus' message reduced to his go-around saying, by believing I am the Son of God, when you're done enjoying your life here on earth, you can come live with me in heaven where everything is awesome for all of eternity. That message has no power to change anything, to reverse the order of the world, to invert the power structure, or those. It is not offensive to those who hold the seats of power or those who gather near to them. And that message certainly would not get anyone killed Listen, brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to have life-altering effect that works to change the world from as it is into what God desires it to be. Christianity is not a passive, escapist religion where being saved means getting your ticket by believing the right dogma and waiting for the day when we'll all go to heaven in the sweet by and by. Like the Pharisees in the parable, this will be offensive to some, mostly those who are okay and satisfied by the status quo. But those who accept the invitation to the banquet are expected to participate in the bringing of the kingdom of God to its fullness, helping to usher in the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. Conversion, baptism is only the beginning. 
This means we are to continue to grow in our faith and while engaging the world for the sake of Christ, not only to pray thy kingdom come, but work to make it happen. Not only to pray that the hungry will be fed, but to go feed them, to go out and find them, to share a meal with them. Yes, we pray for social justice and go work against injustice. We go out, we pay attention, we find it, and then we speak truth against it. We pray for racial healing and the end of racism and speak out in whatever form that we see it. Educate yourself. Equip yourself. Join in some world-changing action that helps bring the kingdom of God to its fullness. Here, now, not in the afterlife. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. The great banquet has been made ready. The table was set by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The kingdom of God has come near. Will you attend or will you make excuses? At the end of the day, the decisions that we make reflect the things that are most important to us. Our priorities are displayed by what we give our time, our attention, and our money to. The language we use, the conversations we have, what we think about, and what we dare to imagine all reflect our participation in the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul uses slave or servant language uh, quite frequently when he talks about why he does what he does. He claimed everything he did was out of obedience to the master. And the same can be said of disciples of Christ today. Jesus' followers do what Jesus did. They go where Jesus went. They spend time with people that Jesus spent time with. The poor, the blind, the lame, the suffering, the disenfranchised, the outsiders, the misfits, as Eugene Peterson would say. The outsiders go, the, the, the disciples of Christ go and compel the outsiders to come in. There is still room for more. Won't you invite others? In this day of online worship and virtual Bible study, there has never been a better time to share the gospel, to uh, engage others into the life of the church by sharing um, uh, and, and retweeting and uh, posting and um, sending email, sending links. It's as simple as extending hospitality to those who may be searching for hope in these desperate times.
what a great banquet really needs is people. Without people gathered around the table, sharing life, laughing, joking, enjoying the food together, it just becomes table decoration. Won't you come? Won't you invite others? That we can offer a blessing. Thank you, God, that we are together. Amen. The table has been set. The invitation has been made. Won't you gather together around the table and invite others that we may experience the kingdom of God here now? Let's eat.